0: Welcome to the UK Money Podcast. My name's Jason Mountford and I'm a financial planner. And on this podcast, I'm gonna take you through all different sorts of personal finance topics. We'll talk about investing, the different ways you can invest. Um, We're gonna talk about risk, we're gonna talk about tax, we're gonna talk about basically anything to do with financial strategy and ways that you can improve your financial future. Now importantly, even though I am a financial planner, I'm not gonna be providing financial advice. Obviously, to provide financial advice, we need to get to know each other personally. And in this kind of environment, I'm just going to be providing information that will hopefully point you in the right direction um, to be able to do research yourself and and seek out the answers that you need. Importantly, I really want this podcast to be uh, as interactive as possible. I wanna be able to provide information that you want. I wanna be able to answer any questions that you have. So I'm gonna have all my information, my contact information in the show notes. Um, please ask me questions. There's gonna be a section I'm gonna be doing in this podcast every week that has uh, listener questions. And I think that's probably where uh, people are gonna get the most value because if you've got that question, uh, it's pretty, pretty sure that there'll be somebody else out there with that same question as well. So please don't be shy please do get in touch with me, drop me a question, um, and I'll do my best to answer it for you. As well as listener questions, we're also gonna be um, covering topics that are, uh, I guess, hot topics in in personal finance. So, you know, often when we see headlines on the news about a certain um, share doing something or the government bringing in changes to tax rates or whatever, often that um, makes people think, how is that gonna impact me? How is that going to impact my finances? So one of the common themes through this is I'm going to be breaking down what's happening out there, what's happening in the news and what that means for your investments and your finances. So please do subscribe to this podcast. I think it's going to bring a lot of value to people out there and I really look forward to, uh, to having you on here every week. If you're joining me on youtube this is going to be a bit different to the other videos that i'm doing a bit more conversational little less structured but hopefully should provide just as much value so we're going to be covering a few different topics today the first one we're going to be talking about is tesla being added to the s p 500 so i saw this on the news this morning Um, the s p 500 is uh, i think it's the biggest stock market index in the world by market cap So it's quite big news that Tesla's being added to it, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens to Tesla's stock price off the back of this. Now, uh, not obviously recommending Tesla stock in any way, shape, or form, Um, really just going to be talking about what it means when a company is added to a stock market index, how that impacts if you're investing in index or tracker funds, passive investing, um, and just uh, talking through kind of that process and why it's potentially a, a big deal for an individual stock also going to be talking about the uh, market uh, boost we've seen off the back of the vaccine, so or the potential vaccine, I should say. So obviously in the news lately, last couple of days has been around this uh, potential vaccine for COVID-19. Um, the individual company stock prices have obviously rocketed off the back of that, um, but also the stock market as a whole. So I think that's a really interesting topic to be looking at, comparing you know short-term kind of sentiment-driven movements in stock markets and more longer-term fundamental movements. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Again, not commenting on the individual stocks or whether they're a good buy or not, but just kind of that, um, that process that that shares can go through and looking at that short-term versus that long-term picture. Lastly, we're going to talk a little bit about property. Now, I'm a financial planner, so I'm not, a, uh, I'm not a real estate agent. I'm not licensed to give advice on property. It's not something that I recommend like residential real estate, that sort of thing, um, other than through property funds and and, and that kind of arrangement. But um, I think it's an interesting one at the moment. Obviously, we've got this stamp duty holiday. Um, so there's been uh, a lot of demand for property actually, which I think is surprising a lot of people. So I'm going to be talking just a little bit about that, a little bit about this, the state of the market and um, and what that might mean for you if you're if you're looking at buying your first house. So stick around. I think it's going to be a lot of value today. And um, let's uh, let's just get into it then. One other point that I did forget to mention when I recorded this episode was that all the views expressed uh, on this podcast and on my YouTube channel are my own and not my employer's. So the first thing I wanted to talk about today is Tesla being added to the S and P 500. Now, like I say, I think um, the S and P 500 is a massive, massive stock market index. Um, it stands for the Standard and what it uh, it means, or s and Standard and Pours 500. So Standard and Pours created this index of the, um, I guess, 500 biggest companies in America, but not really. So a lot of um, stock market indexes like the FTSE 100, for example, are based just on market cap. So essentially, if your company is one of the 100 biggest in the UK listed companies, then you'll be included in the FTSE 100. Now, the S&P 500 is a little bit different because it's not just based on market cap. So market cap is a part of it, but essentially it's a committee from Standard & Poor's that actually decide whether a company is going to be added to that stock market index. Now, Tesla's actually met the definition of for entry from a market cap perspective for quite some time, Um, but the committee decided not to add them because of not concerns, but some of their income levels of income were based on like short term tax credits and things like that. So one of the conditions that they put on, on adding a, a, um, a company to their index is the the quality of their earnings or the sustainability of their earnings. So the committee had uh, some, I guess, reservations around that for Tesla. They're obviously over that now um, because they have announced that they're going to be adding uh, Tesla to the S&P 500 from the 21st of December. So just over a month a month away. So why is this important? Well, I think in order to answer that question, we have to talk a little bit about active versus passive investing. So these are really the two kind of umbrella terms for how you invest in the stock market. Now, in terms of um, index investing, I've mentioned a couple of indexes there. So you've got the S and P 500 as as one of the biggest ones in America, and you've got the FTSE 100, which is um, the biggest uh, index in the UK. Now. The first way and one of the most common ways that people invest in the market is what's called index investing or passive investing. In the UK as well sometimes it's known as tracker, investing in a tracker fund. And essentially what that does is it takes out any form of um, discretion for how you're investing. So let's say you decide you wanna put some money into the UK stock market and you wanna invest in, in UK equities, UK shares. If you decide to do that via a tracker or an index fund, you might decide to invest in a FTSE 100 tracker. If you do that, that fund will invest your money on your behalf into the FTSE 100, but it will just buy the 100 um, shares that are listed in that FTSE 100. Now, there are some slight different ways that they can do this, but to keep it simple, you know, some of them will literally do that. They will just buy um, they will buy the top 100 companies in on that FTSE 100 and they'll do it by weighting. So whichever company is the biggest they'll buy the most of, whichever company is the 100th they'll buy the least of. Now, by doing that, you're essentially going to be getting the average return of the whole stock market. So you don't care whether Lloyds performs better than Halifax. Okay, really bad example. Obviously, Halifax are actually owned by Lloyds, but you get the picture, you get what I'm talking about. (laughs) Or whether BP um, performs better than Shell or whatever. you're going to be getting the return of the the average of the market as a whole. Now, investing in this way has some advantages. The first advantage is is that you are going to get the average. And that means that really, if that that index tracker is doing its job properly, you're not going to underperform the market. You're going to get whatever the market return is. Uh, The other main advantage and one of the, the main reasons why people invest this way is because of cost. So that investment manager that's investing that money on your behalf doesn't have to do any research, really. They look at that 100 list, they buy those 100 stocks, and that's their job done. Now, that doesn't take a lot of ongoing management. You know, obviously, that that list changes, so there is some work that needs to be done, done some trades that need to be done, but they don't need to go deep diving into the analysis of the companies, they don't need to be looking at um, whether company A is better than company B, anything like that. So the costs are very, very low, Um, you know, often for for large cap trackers like you know, S&P 500, FTSE 100, you know, that, those those can be less than 0.1 of a percent um, that they charge you in fees. So that's a really huge advantage for, for index investing. Um, the other way you can invest is what's known as active investing. So rather than just picking those 100 stocks, you might have a fund manager that's going to invest in the UK stock market on an active basis. Now, for that particular um, investment manager, rather than just buying those 100 stocks, they're going to say, okay, we'll invest in UK equities for you, we'll, we'll invest in the UK market, but we're gonna try and outperform the market. We're gonna try and outperform that index. So to do that, they still might look at that list of 100, but rather than investing in every company on there, they might, or they do pick and choose which companies they feel are the best options. So, you know, I mentioned BP and Shell before, you know. They would want to have exposure to, to mining oil and gas stocks like BP and Shell, like BP, uh, BHP, but they might not want to just invest in all of them. They might then say, okay, well, let's look at BP, let's look at Shell, and let's compare the two. And they might decide, uh, again, this is this is me plucking plucking um, details out of the air. I've not done any analysis on them myself, but you know they might decide that Shell is a better bet than BP, or they might decide that BP is a better bet than Shell, and then invest only in that one company. The end result then, is that rather than investing in every company on the index, they have a selection that they think are actually gonna perform better than the stock market as a whole. Now, there's some advantages to investing like this. First of which is that they might get it right. You might have a uh, investment manager that is fantastic at picking these stocks. They do an an incredible level of analysis and you end up with a a portfolio or an investment fund that outperforms the market average, outperforms the market as a whole, which is the perfect scenario. That's what active managers tell you they're able to do on a consistent basis. There are, however, some potential uh, downsides. The first is, I guess, probably a pretty obvious one is that there's no guarantee that they're going to get that correct. So actually, they could put all of that effort in, they could put all of that analysis in, and then actually they could perform worse than the market as a, as a whole. They could p- perform worse than the market average. And that does happen, you know, especially over shorter periods of time, there's definitely no guarantee that an active manager is going to outperform the market. Now that's compounded by the fact that there's a lot more work that goes into this, so they have to have teams of, uh, of an, an, teams of analysts. They um, often have to, you know, they'll go visit these companies, they'll pay for additional research from, you know, from overseas brokers, Um, they've got a large number of staff, so they've got pension schemes, they've got company cars, they've got buildings, they've got a lot more costs that goes into providing active management. In a nutshell, they just have a lot more costs than a passive manager has. Now, they're not doing it on a charitable a charitable basis. Um, they are a company that's trying to make a profit. So those costs get passed on to you, the investor. So that's one of the other downsides of investing on an active basis is that the costs are higher. The costs are higher than what you pay for passive management. So that's kind of the active versus passive debate. And to be honest, there's not really a consensus within professional Um, finance sort of circles there's a camp that are obviously huge proponents of active management they believe they can provide outperformance over the long term and then you've got a huge um, a huge number of people out there that believe that it's not possible that over a long enough time period there's not it's not uh, it's not possible to outperform the market so there's there is no right or wrong answer everybody has a different uh, viewpoint on it but either way, it does have an impact on how uh, individual stocks or uh, how sectors of the market perform now back to kind of looking at Tesla and what this means you know Tesla Tesla is a bit of a market darling so it's risen significantly over the the last few years um, you know Elon Musk is, is a very much a larger than life character people kind of regardless of the business model itself um, whether you whether you think that's A positive or not, people are really buying into Elon Musk and kind of his vision and the vision for this electric green kind of future. So Tesla's uh, share price has risen a lot over the past few years. Um, With that said, from a fundamental perspective, and again, I've not done a deep dive onto this, but I know that there have been certain managers out there that have stayed away from Tesla um, over sort of similar concerns to what the S&P 500 had really you know, is that business sustainable? You know, can it make consistent long-term profits? Can it meet the demand Does it have, have the capability of, of ramping up the factory production and all that sort of stuff? So have been some, some concerns about the long-term viability of the business. So active managers, have, have, have some of them have stayed away. And because it's not been included in a in any passive funds in S&P 500 um, funds, passive managers haven't been buying it either. Now, what's going to happen is that once uh, Tesla's actually uh, included into the S&P 500, if I am running an S&P 500 index tracker fund, I have to buy Tesla. So regardless of whether I think Tesla's actually a good investment or not, by having it included in an index, there's automatically going to be a much higher level of demand for those stocks because any index fund out there that actually buys the whole index um, will need to be buying Tesla. So you know, it's just a really good example of how um individual or ways that different asset um, different shares are allocated to indexes can actually really impact that share price. So it is going to be really interesting to see what happens to to Tesla shares over the the next month or so as it's added to that index. Now you know it's no guarantee that the share price will go up, you know just because a share is being added to a index doesn't automatically mean the price is going to increase you know, there can still be bad news that comes out about the company, which counteracts that, that increased demand from, from an index perspective. So um, nothing in investing is a is a guarantee that a share price will rise, but it's going to be really interesting to see um, how it all plays out. So the next piece of news that I just wanted to have a bit of a talk about was this market boost we've seen off the back of the uh, potential vaccine for COVID-19. Now, the first one that came out uh, a few days ago was Pfizer. Um, And then the next, the other one, which was just yesterday, I'm just double checking the name. I think it's Moderna. Yeah, Moderna. Um, So Pfizer announced that they had a a vaccine that had a potential um, 90% um, effectiveness rate or 90% protection rate. Um, And then Moderna have come out and saying they've also got one that they think has a 95% protection rate. So there's these companies coming out now um, that are sort of saying that, look, we're making some real progress here. Um, We've got some vaccines that are potentially going to be very useful against COVID-19. Now, as you would expect, the market was very excited about that, and we saw some huge increases in in share markets all all around the world, really, and some really big increases in those individual share prices. Now, I think this is a really good example of of basically how short-term market movements are driven by sentiment. So, When we talk about stock market investing, when we talk about investing in shares for the long term, um, I think the main main, um, understanding that people have is that when you buy shares, when you buy good businesses, you expect that over the long term, those businesses will do well, they'll grow their profits, and the share price will rise in line with that. And I think over long time periods, that's That's often um, pretty much the case, you know, over the long, to to be a sustainable share that grows over the long term, you need to have a sustainable and a a performing business. Over the short term, that's not necessarily the case. So I'm not saying that that's not the case for these two companies. Obviously, um, they're huge pharmaceutical giants, but it's interesting because basically all of that um, Pfizer and Moderna haven't made any more money off the back of this recent announcement. Now, they might make more money in the future. You know, if these uh, vaccines do go through all of the final processes, they will get approved. Obviously, there's a massive amount of potential for them to make a huge amount of money off the back of this. But in the short term, it's driven by sentiment. It's driven by people feeling good about the stock. It's driven by people getting excited about the stock. But it won't necessarily translate into long-term Capital growth. Now, I think that's really interesting because this is just one example. We see this all the time. You know, if um, it, the uh, an interesting one actually off the it's kind of the um, the same issue, but the other side of it is off the back of the um, vaccine announcement. We actually saw um, tech stocks drop a bit. So uh, companies like Netflix and Spotify, um, and even Amazon have seen really big increases through COVID-19 because obviously we're spending more time at home, we're all shopping online more. So those companies have actually done really well out of the pandemic. So as soon as there's a bit of a a light at the end of the tunnel that maybe these lockdowns and maybe this pandemic situation will be over, that has an inverse impact on those companies. So their share price has actually dropped a bit. Now again, a lot of that's going to be sentiment driven. You know, at this stage, we don't know what consumer behavior is going to look like after the pandemic is over. So actually, you know, maybe Amazon's not going to be impacted at all. And maybe all of these extra um, extra prime customers and extra online shoppers that they've picked up are going to stay with Amazon after things are over. So the long-term outlook is, is, is yet to be seen, but the share price is moving based on short-term sentiment and short-term emotions. So I think this is a really important point for, for you out there who are listening to this um, or when you're looking at your own portfolios. So, you know, it can be really scary when you see some, some really drastic share price movements, especially, you know, if you go back earlier in the year, the UK market, for example, is down almost 40% at one point. Um, but it's really important to remember that often, not always, but often when we see moves that are that drastic, it is driven by sentiment, driven by emotion, not necessarily dri- driven by fundamentals. So there's a big disconnect between what can happen um, in share prices and stock markets in the short term and what can happen for over the long term for an investment portfolio. So I think, um, you know, like say, for for those who are are watching their own portfolio, if you get nervous about volatility, it's just a really important point to keep in mind that just because something is volatile over the short term doesn't mean that it's going to be a a bad bet over the long term and vice versa. Just because a share price or a stock market is is rising rapidly in the short term doesn't mean that that's necessarily a sustainable long-term trend. So, you know, when you are looking at your own portfolio, I think it's a really good example of why you've kind of got to ignore that short-term noise a bit. You know, as much as yes, we all love to see our portfolio go through rapid increases, it's not sustainable. You know, you, your portfolio can't do 15% annualized return every year on the year. You know, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, it's important to keep perspective. It's important to keep a long-term view. And if you go through a really great period, then you know, it's probably start preparing yourself for for a correction. You know, it's going to happen. It's okay. It's part of the normal um, investing process um, and you're on a long-term journey. So I think that that's just a really important point to keep in mind that that short-term volatility doesn't necessarily equate to how your portfolio is going to perform over the long term. So the last thing I want to have a little bit of a talk about in today's episode was uh the property market. So Rishi Sunak uh, announced this this stamp duty holiday so there's no stamp duty for properties up to 500,000 pounds in England um until 31st of March next year. So we've actually seen a huge um a huge increase in the amount of sales that have been agreed. I've seen some figures that that say this is like uh 70% higher than this time last year, which is just crazy. Um so you know it's a it's an interesting one because you know a lot of people I've been speaking to around um, around property have expected the property market to be quite soft because people are you know on furlough um, obviously there's a lot of small businesses out there that are really struggling um, certain industries like events hospitality in particular. Um, so you know, you would think the property market would actually not be very good, but the inverse seems to be seems to be the, the actual facts of it. So um, you know, it, it is a really interesting one. We've seen a lot of demand, I think, brought forward. So people who potentially were planning on buying a property sometime in the next couple of years, you know because they can potentially save thousands of pounds all of a sudden on, on that stamp duty all of a sudden you don't need quite as much of a deposit um, and you know it's a big incentive for people to be to be bringing forward that those those purchasing decisions so um, it will be interesting to see how it plays out afterwards because obviously if you're if you're just taking demand from next year and bringing it forward into this year you know maybe actually next year is going to be really quite a bad year for property so it will be interesting to see what the knock-on impacts of this are um, and something else that we've seen out there from my conversations with with people in um, in the mortgage industry is that because this demand has been so high and the circumstances on under which the banks are working are, are kind of so unusual the it can take up to 6 months to get approval for a mortgage at the moment so you know people are, are kind of rushing to try and get something approved so they can they can finally buy a house but actually in practice it's not necessarily that easy so um, uh, yeah i think uh, i think it's a, it's a really interesting um, really interesting one, really. And I think if you're, um, if you're looking to be purchasing a property and you're not a cash buyer, um, that mortgage point is really, really, um, important one to be considering. You know, it's all well and good to be able to save a bit of money, um, save a bit of money on, on stamp duty. But, you know, if you can't get a mortgage in time, then it's not necessarily going to be, um, practically something that you can do. So if it is something that you're, you're thinking of, um, doing anyway, you know, I, I just, I just, um, say, be aware of that. So be aware of that, that time frame that it's taking and maybe start having a look, a look into it now to, to see if you're going to be able to meet that deadline. So today we've talked a little bit about active versus passive investing. We've talked about Tesla being added to the S&P 500 and what that kind of means, um, how passive investing works and, um, and how that can impact individual stocks. Um, we've also talked about short-term volatility versus long-term kind of fundamental performance around the vaccine and some of these increases we've seen for, for Pfizer and Moderna and the um, I guess the, the market as a whole off the back of the potential COVID vaccine. And then we've just touched briefly on on the property market as well and some of the, the, um, the big issues that are, are going on there in, in residential property. So, you know, I hope that's provided some value to you. Um, like I say, I do want this to be very much a, a question and answer kind of podcast. So if you do have questions, if there's financial things that you'd like to ask, my contact information is in the show notes. Please get in touch with me. Um, I'm also on uh, Instagram you can get in touch with me on there and obviously if you're watching this on on, Inst- on, uh, sorry, on, on YouTube then please do drop a comment below um, please subscribe, You know, hopefully this is going to be something that um, you can get value from on a regular basis I'm going to be covering a range of different topics so there should be hopefully bits and pieces from, from every episode that you'll be able to apply to your own financial situation so look thanks very much for being with me today and I look forward to, to seeing you next time